Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to Tech's third quarter 2020 earnings release conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. This conference call is being recorded on Tuesday, October 27, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Fraser Phillips, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Strategic Analysis. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, Melanie. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Tech's third quarter 2020 results conference call. Before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the caution regarding forward-looking statements on slide two. This presentation contains forward-looking statements regarding our business. This slide describes the assumptions underlying those statements. Various risks and uncertainties may cause actual results to vary. Tech does not assume the obligation to update any forward-looking statement. Would also like to point out that we use various non-GAAP measures in this presentation. You can find explanations and reconciliations regarding these measures in the appendix. With that, I will turn the call over to Don Lindsay, our President and CEO. Well, thanks very much, Fraser, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning. I will begin on slide three with our third quarter highlights. I'll be followed by Ron Millos, our retiring CFO, who will provide additional color on our financial results. We will then conclude with a Q&A session where Ron and I and several additional members of our senior management team would be happy to answer any questions. Before I start, I do want to say that after 25 years with tech, this is expected to be Ron's last quarterly conference call. And I just want to personally, and on behalf of our whole team, thank Ron for his many outstanding contributions to tech over his 25 years with the company. And we wish him the very best in his retirement. Thank you, Ron. Jonathan Price, Tech's new Senior Vice President Chief Financial Officer, will join me in presenting our fourth quarter 2020 results in February. So these continue to be what I guess uh, many have called unprecedented times as the world adapts to a new normal with COVID-19. And despite the ongoing challenges, our financial performance recovered strongly from the second quarter that clearly was very significantly negatively impacted by COVID-19. And despite the decline in realized steelmaking coal prices that you will have seen, we did post gains in profitability and operating cash flows. We made significant progress during the quarter on the execution of our major projects, including advancing the Neptune terminals upgrade in line with the schedule and the budget, and also safely ramping back up construction at our QB2 project. We've also made progress in reducing costs throughout the supply chain improvements and our cost reduction program, and as a result of Raise 21. Our adjusted site cost of sales in steelmaking coal is expected to be below $60 Canadian per ton in December, or around $45 US per ton at the mine site. And across our business, our people have adapted to the new normal of operating through the pandemic, staying focused on health and safety, while continuing to responsibly produce materials that are essential to the global economic recovery. Turning to our financial results on slide four, in the third quarter, revenues were 2.3 billion, and gross profit before depreciation and amortization was 703 million. Bottom line adjusted profit attributable to shareholders was 130 million or 24 cents per share on both a basic and a fully diluted basis. And while these results reflect the negative effect of COVID-19 on the prices and sales of our products compared to the third quarter last year, they also represent a strong recovery 
from Q2 2020, which was significantly negatively impacted by the pandemic. I'll now run through some key updates for the quarter, starting with our steelmaking coal business on slide five. We are continuing to successfully restructure our cost base due to our planned decline in strip ratio and due to the LP plant expansion and due to the closure of our Cardinal River operations, as well as our cost reduction program, CRP, and our race 21 programs. Our adjusted site cost of sales are expected to decrease over the remainder of 2020 and to be below $60 per ton in the month of December. Our strip ratio was 11.4 to 1 in 2019 last year. And we expect it to decline to around 10 to 1 throughout the fourth quarter and into 2021. We completed the major expansion of our LQ operations plan in Q2, despite the challenges of the pandemic. And that plant now has the capacity to produce 9 million tons annually, which enables us to replace higher cost production from our Caldner River operations with a higher quality coal produced at a lower cost from our LQ operations. And at the same time, we're nearing the end of the major capital deployment phase for Neptune, which will end next quarter, and the water treatment facilities at both Elkview and Porting River. So that's three capital projects that will be coming to an end by the end of next quarter. Turning to our Neptune upgrade project on slide six, we continue to advance the project in line with the previously announced capital estimate and schedule. And the planned uh, five-month shutdown of terminal operations was success successfully completed in September and all the different things that we wanted to achieve and accomplish during that five months were achieved. Major equipment deliveries are now complete with all equipment currently on site. A number of us went to have a, a visit uh, a week or so ago to see the new shiploader uh, now in place, uh, and we were, we were thrilled to see it arriving on the special ship called Jumbo on October 8th as it uh, sailed into Vancouver's Lionsgate Bridge, and you see a picture here, and I tell you, it was a beautiful sight. The Neptune upgrade will, of course, secure for us a long-term, low-cost, and reliable supply chain, supply chain solution for our steelmaking coal business unit. We expect construction to be completed next quarter, that's Q1 of 2021, and the terminal capacity to increase as the new equipment comes online. So it does start to increase before the quarter is over. We made solid progress during the quarter at our QB2 project on slide seven. QB2 is a key component, of course, of Tech's copper growth strategy. It's a big, big part of us rebalancing the portfolio and copper will ultimately be our largest business. We currently have over 7,000 people on site and are targeting over 9,000 people on site by the end of the year. All major contractors have remobilized and work is progressing well across the project and it is in line with our ramp up plan. Construction of additional camp space that's being built to manage the COVID-19 impacts will provide additional capacity as it begins to come online in Q4 of 2020 this quarter. We are aiming to achieve overall project progress of approximately 40% by year end. As a result of COVID-19, we expensed $107 million of costs related to the project's expansion of construction and $23 million of interest that would have otherwise been capitalized for the project in the third quarter. And to the end of September, we've expensed total costs of $272 million 
and $103 million of interest that would have been capitalized for the project. We recommenced capitalization of borrowing costs on the CDC project in the third quarter, consistent with the return to active construction on the project. And assuming the ramp up proceeds through the fourth quarter as currently planned, the aggregate estimated impact from the suspension is expected to be approximately $350 to $400 million US, excluding interest, with a scheduled delay of approximately five to six months. As well, the additional camp space has an incremental cost of 45 million US above that. First production at QB2 is expected in the second half of 2022. Turning to slide eight, at Tech, our approach to safety and sustainability are core to the success of our business. Robust COVID-19 protocols remain in place at all of our operations. We continue to focus on preventative measures and controls and compliance and integration into our new normal. Year to date, our high potential incident frequency is 31% lower than the same period of 2019 at 1.1 per million hours worked. In September, together with the AES Corporation, we entered into a long-term power purchase agreement to provide 100% renewable power for our Carmadan Decoil operation in Chile. This agreement is expected to eliminate approximately 200,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions each and every year. And it is our goal to be the leading diversified mining company when it comes to sustainability and ESG rankings and performance. I'm proud to say our efforts on sustainability have been recognized by a number of organizations. In 2019, Tech was named to the Dow Jones Sustainability World Index for the 10th consecutive year, and we were the top-ranked mining company in the index. We are also the top-ranked diversified metals mining company on Sustainalytics and are highly ranked on MSCI in comparison to our peers. We are an ICMM member company. I just finished uh, three years as chair, and we have been recognized as a strong performer by ISS, FTSE for Good, and others. We were proud to announce yesterday that Tech has been named to the Forbes World's Best Employers 2020 list, which is an employee-driven ranking of multinational and large companies from 45 different countries. They looked at topics including COVID-19 response and willingness to recommend an employer to friends or family. Now, while we are, of course, we are proud of our performance, but we do know that there is more work to be done on these two issues as they become much more pertinent to many stakeholders. I'll now run through highlights of our third quarter by business units, starting with steelmaking coal on slide nine. Third quarter steelmaking coal sales were 5.1 million tons, which was within our guidance range. We had planned mining and production outages at our operations in the third quarter to correspond with anticipated reduced demand related to COVID-19. We reduced the logistics capacity in accordance with that uh, using the planned five-month shutdown at Neptune Terminal, and that was completed in September. And as a result, our Q3 production of 5.1 million tons was 22% lower than the same period last year. And that affects costs, as you would expect. Our adjusted site cost of sales of $67 per ton reflected that lower production and lower sales volume. Transport costs were higher than the same period a year ago, primarily due to the lower volumes through Neptune, 
during the planned five-month shutdown of terminal operations. And on August 25th, we announced that we signed an agreement in principle with West Shore Terminals for the shipment of 32.25 million tons starting on April 1st of 2021. Together with the Neptune upgrade and our contract with Ridley Terminals, this will provide much greater flexibility and optionality to protect shipments and contribute to reduced costs and improved performance and reliability throughout our steelmaking coal supply chain. So looking forward, we expect strong sales of 5.8 to 6.2 million tons in Q4 of 2020, up from the 5.1 in Q3. We expect our adjusted site craft cost of sales to decrease over the remainder of the year and to be below $60 per ton in December, supported by the restructuring of the cost base in our steelmaking coal business unit. Turning to our copper business unit, our third quarter results are summarized on slide 10. Antimina performed well at full production rates in the quarter, following a temporary suspension of operations due to COVID-19 that happened in Q2 of 2020. Production was lower than the same period last year at both Highland Valley and Carmen At Highland Valley, production was impacted by harder-than-expected ore following a change in mine sequencing earlier in the year in support of reduced waste movement as well as maintenance challenges. Production is expected to be higher in Q4 due to increased mill throughput and higher ore grades. The decrease in decoil was primarily the result of lower ore grades which were expected in the mine plan and also reduced mill throughput due to longer than anticipated maintenance shutdown. Notwithstanding the reduced production where you would expect uh, costs to go higher, we actually had significantly lower total and net cash unit costs in the same period last year, and this was supported by a cost reduction program and the contribution from Raise 21. Looking forward, we've lowered our copper production guidance range for the second half of 2020 to 140,000, 155,000 tons, which is down 5,000 tons from before, and that's due to the lower production at Highland Valley. Our zinc business unit results for the third quarter are summarized on slide 11. And as a reminder, Antimina's zinc-related financial results are reported in our copper business unit. Red Dog's sales of zinc and concentrate were 175,300 tons, which was in line with our guidance range. Red Dog zinc production was significantly improved from Q2 2020. Climate change, I have to say, is affecting site conditions, which limited our ability to discharge treated water. However, operating restrictions due to excess water were resolved in the third quarter, and we completed a raise of the tailings facility earlier than originally planned, which provided us with additional flexibility for water storage. We also installed a new water treatment plant to increase the water discharge capacity when permit limitations allowed. At Trail, refined zinc and lead production was higher than the Q3 of 2019. And looking forward, we continue to expect to ship all concentrate during the Red Dog shipping season. In fact, it will complete in just a matter of days. Uh, and the repair to the loading arm on one of the two shipping barges uh, was completed by the end of July. We expect sales of Red Dog zinc and concentrate of 145 to 155,000 tons in the fourth quarter which reflects our normal seasonality. We have lowered our guidance for our net cash unit costs in the second half of 2020 
to 30 to 40 cents U.S. per pound from previously 40 to 50 cents per pound. So that's definitely headed the right direction. Our energy business unit results for the third quarter are summarized on slide 12. Our realized prices and operating results were significantly impacted by both lower production and a material decline in benchmark oil prices compared with Q3 of 2019. As previously announced, the Fort Hills partners safely and efficiently reduced operations to a single train facility in the second quarter, which helped reduce negative cash flows in the third quarter in light of COVID-19 and, and the very low Western Canadian select prices. Production was also negatively impacted by extreme wet weather, which resulted in soft pick conditions starting in June and continuing into July. Looking forward, the Fort Hills partner decided to restart the second train and to ramp up production to around 120,000 barrels per day by the end of the year, and that was earlier than had previously been anticipated. On October 23rd, just five days ago, the government of Alberta announced that it will not issue monthly production limits for the December 2020 production month. And in December 2020, that means that operators will be able to produce above their previously issued production limits without having to purchase curtailment credits or to apply for special production allowances. The curtailment rules have been extended to December 31st, 2021. However, the government of Alberta will only issue ministerial orders to limit production when they feel it is needed. If required, ministerial orders will be issued with 30 to 60 days notice to allow time for producers to respond and plan accordingly. The Fort Hills partners continue to monitor the business environment and assess plans to maximize cash flow, including the potential to increase production and lower costs. We have lowered our guidance for adjusted operating costs in the second half of the year to $35 to $38 Canadian per barrel of bitumen, down from the previous $37 to $40 per barrel. But of course, what we're all looking forward to is to getting to that, that level that we were in in December of 2018, when, which was the last month when Fort Hills was allowed to run at full capacity. And then that month, that averaged 201,000 barrels a day at a cash cost of 23 Canadian per barrel. We're looking forward to getting back there sometime in the future. And with that, I'll pass it over to Ron Mills for some comments on our financial results. Ron, over to you. Uh, great. Thanks, Don. Uh, I'll speak to the uh, changes in our cash position uh, during the third quarter, and that's on uh, slide 13. So we, we received uh, net proceeds of $540 million from debt in the quarter, and that was made up of uh, net draws of U.S. $49 million on our revolver and U.S. $341 million on the QB2 uh, project financing facility. We generated $390 million in cash flow from operations. We spent $589 million on capital projects, and that included $246 million on, on QB2 and $89 million on the Neptune facility upgrade. Our stripping activities uh, used $110 million, and that was lower than our Q3 2019 due mainly to the planned mining and production footages at our steel and coal operations in, uh, in the quarter. We paid $104 million in interest and financing charges and $54 million on expenditures on investments and other assets. Uh, lease payments totaled $41 million, and we paid $27 million in our regular $0.05 quarterly-based dividend. And after these and other minor items, we ended the quarter with cash and short-term investments of $403 million. Uh, turning to the impact of COVID-19 in our business on slide 14, as Don mentioned earlier, 
Well, our third quarter financial results reflect the negative effect of COVID-19 on the prices and sales of our products compared with the same period last year. We saw a strong recovery compared with Q2 uh, of this year, which was significantly negatively impacted by the pandemic. In the second quarter, all of our mines had recovered from COVID-19 production uh, disruptions. And in the third quarter, we expensed $130 million related to COVID-19 on a pre-tax basis, which is half of the amount expensed in Q2. And of course, we expensed $107 million in other operating income uh, expenses related to the uh, temporary suspension of construction and remobilization at a QB2 project, and $23 million in additional finance expense representing interest that would have otherwise been capitalized if construction on QB2 had not been suspended. Well, we have certain uh, increased costs associated with operating our mines at full production in the new normal environment with COVID-19, such as medical testing, safety equipment and supplies, and additional transportation and accommodation costs for social distancing. They are cost of operating in this environment and are not adjusted for in adjusted earnings calculations. And on a year-to-date basis, we expensed a total of $434 million related to COVID-19, and that included $103 million of interest that would otherwise have been capitalized. And we recommenced capitalization of borrowing costs on the QB2 project in the third quarter, and that was consistent with our return to active construction on the project. And barring any further negative developments around COVID-19, we do not expect significant uh, COVID-19-specific costs on a go-forward basis. Uh, Slide 15 summarizes the latest results of our cost reduction program. To the end of September, we've achieved approximately $270 million of operating cost reductions and $500 million of capital cost reductions. And these reductions are against what we were expecting to spend uh, back at the end of uh, June 2019 when we started looking for cost reduction opportunities. So we've made pretty good progress against our targeted reductions of a billion dollars. The reductions are spread throughout the company, with the majority at the operating business units. And it also includes the satellite projects, the exploration projects, our IT systems, and our admin and marketing costs throughout the company. And the realized and remaining uh, uh, targeted cost reductions from our cost reduction uh, program have been included in our guidance uh, since we announced the program in October last year and are reflected in our current guidance as well. Uh, Turning to uh, our financial position on slide 16, uh, we have a strong financial position with current liquidity of 6.8 billion Canadian. And this includes our cash balance and the amounts available on our U.S. $5 billion of uh, committed revolving uh, credit facilities. U.S. $3.8 billion is available on our $4 billion facility that matures in the fourth quarter of 2024, and our U.S. $1 billion sidecar that matures in the second quarter of 2022 is, is undrawn. Uh, importantly, both of these facilities do not have any earnings or cash flow-based financial covenants. Uh, do not include a credit rating trigger and do not include a general material adverse effect borrowing condition. The only financial covenant is a net debt capitalization ratio that cannot exceed 60% and at September 30th that ratio was 23%. And for our U.S. $2.5 billion limited recourse uh, project financing facility for QB2, we've currently drawn about U.S. $860 million of which $340 million 341 million, sorry, was drawn in the uh, third quarter. Uh, going forward, uh, project funding will be from the project financing until the project uh, reaches a specific ratio of uh, project financing to total shareholders' funding. And tech's next contributions to project capital for QB2 are not expected until the first half of 2021. Uh, and we have no significant note maturities prior to 2030. Investment grade ratings from all four of the credit rating agencies. 
So overall, our financial position is in good shape to allow us to continue to weather the challenges around COVID-19 and to complete the Neptune facility upgrade and the QB2 uh, project. And with that, I will uh, turn it back over to Don for his closing comments. Thank you, Ron. And uh, to wrap up on slide 17, despite the ongoing challenges, our financial performance did recover strongly in Q3, following a second quarter that was obviously negatively impacted by COVID-19. We believe that tech has quality operating assets and stable jurisdictions, and we are advancing a copper growth strategy that is funded and is being implemented. We continue to progress our four key priorities to create shareholder value and position tech for decades to come. And those are the QB2 project, Race 21, Neptune, and our company-wide CRP cost reduction program. And we believe tech is well positioned to generate shareholder value as the world adapts to the new normal with COVID-19. And with that, we would be happy to answer your questions. I should say, like many of you, most of us are on phone lines from home, so please bear with us if there is a delay while we sort out who will answer each question. So now, operator, over to you for questions. Thank you. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Oris Walkdahl of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Um, Don, I was hoping we could get a bit more color on the cost guidance and coal. I find the languaging in the MDNA fairly confusing because it, on one hand, you say that you expect uh, on-site costs and coal to exit this year sub 60 bucks a ton, but then uh, in the disclosure, it also talks about kind of preliminary 2021 site cash guidance to be in line with H2 levels, which are 60 to 64. Um, can you help explain how sh we should interpret that? Yeah, I'll turn it over to it over. Robert in just a minute, but uh, uh, you should have the context that we haven't finished our budgeting for 2021 yet, so we didn't want to put out formal numbers uh, very specifically until we've done that. And uh, you know that, that process is ongoing. There are always a number of different factors with any operation that uh, come at you, uh, you know, uh, throughout the course of the year. So we want to make sure that we've examined all those things before we put out very specific guidance. But for sure, the cost structure of the business has been materially reduced. And while it would be plus or minus a couple of bucks going forward, we are at a level that's uh, substantially lower than it was before. And, and the starting point uh, going into 2021 is pretty good. But with that, uh, Robin, over to you. You bet. Thanks. Uh, and thanks, Horace. As, um, as Don said, you know, we're, we're going through a budget process right now. So there's a lot of things like haul distance, plant maintenance outages that normally occur in Q2 and Q3 that, that we have to take into account. And we've also got two new water treatment facilities coming online this year with Fording River South going to be completed in, uh, at the end of Q1, as well as the Elkview Saturated Rockville, which is just going online now. So so those things all have to be rolled into a budget, but but I want to give you I'll give you a few important data points that'll help you kind of frame a view around this. So our strip ratio, and this is a key cost driver, is going to be we're we're coming down to around 10 to 1 through this last quarter. We will go through 2021 at that 10 to 1, and we see ourselves over the next few years staying at 10 10 to 1. And again, that's an extremely important cost driver for us. 
You remember our strip ratio through 2019 was 11.4 to 1. It's going to be around 11.1 to 1 through 2020. So now that we've got uh, the expansion at Elkview behind us, um, we see that strip ratio stabilizing. So that's one really important uh, data point. Don also mentioned the closure of Cardinal River. From a structural point of view, that was our highest cost operation, lower quality coal, and that tonnage and more actually has been uh, has been created through the Elkview expansion, which is now successfully executed, and we're we're running at a pace of nine million per year at that operation, and that's our lowest one of our lowest cost operations uh, in the in the business, and at a higher quality coal. So so that's another factor you have to take into account because it's both cost and it gives us greater value on the product side. The other thing that we probably haven't talked much about, but through this time, through the COVID time, we've maintained our mine plants and the key assets. So we've got healthy raw coal inventories now going into 2021. And if you remember, that was one of the constraints that we actually suffered through here over the last couple of years when we were driving to produce into the high price market. So that's behind us. So we now have healthy raw coal inventories. Our mine plans are, are very stable. That's why we're able to maintain the 10 to 1. Um, and the other piece of the puzzle is uh, we've had trouble with full clean coal inventories as well. And that's three of the four operations now are, are pretty much down to stable levels. And that means that's no longer a constraint for us. So another reason we've got a pretty strong base going into 2021. And then I, I guess I'll end on one last positive note. We're, we're driving race 21, that strategy uh, through coal, and we're seeing significant value right now. And I kind of, just to illustrate it, we saw record high mine productivities in Q3, above anything we've seen uh, previously. So there's, that'll be sustained forward, and that's the kind of structural change that's occurring that supports a, a very strong cost base going into 21. So, you know, again, I don't want to get specific numbers out at this point as we go through the budget, but suffice to say we're operating off a much, much better cost base than we have through this two-year transition phase. But Robin, just on that, I mean, for all the reasons you cite here, I guess I'm not understanding why costs are not going to remain below 60 bucks a ton in 2021. Well, Q4, I mean, one, one aspect about Q4 is we don't have plant shutdowns in that quarter. It's typically a quarter where that's all behind us. And we, we on average, will operate at a lower cost normally in Q4 than we do over a full year. So quarter to quarter, you're going to have different... Uh, impacts on your cost base so that's you know that's why we're confident we'll we'll end the year below sixty dollars but that doesn't mean that every quarter forward in 21 will be at that same level okay okay yeah, thank you very to, much or as you can assume it is certainly our objective to stay below sixty dollars if we can uh, if it's at all possible but we don't want to overrepresent right now until until we're finished the budgeting process yeah okay thanks Todd. I might add just on that haul truck productivity comment that Robin made, but we actually had uh, a really high record haul truck productivity during spring runoff. For those of you who've ever been a foreman in the pit and seen what the road conditions are like at that time of year, uh, that's an incredible statement to be able to make. So race 21 is certainly helping us a lot. Next question, please. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos de Alba of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Thank you. Um, my, my question, maybe uh, Don, is on um, 
Highland Valley Copper. Uh, just uh, on, on two points there. First, uh, given the guidance uh, for the, for the fourth quarter, um, is it expected then that the hard ore that you will process in in Q3 and, and the resulting in lower output, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a thing of the past and moving for going forward. Uh, that is normalized and production should uh, stabilize you know, beyond the, the, the fourth quarter guidance that, that was provided. Uh, and also on that uh, on, on that operation, uh, the molybdenum production in, in the third quarter declined significantly year on year uh, due to particularly lower grades. Uh, what can you comment in terms of, of the, the moly grade going forward at uh, Highland Valley? Thank you. Okay, I think both of those questions can go to Dale Andrews, please. Yeah, thanks, uh, Carlos. Um, just to start on the first question with uh, hardness, um, basically there's two factors that led us to change the, the mine plan and the sequence for the year. Uh, one due to reduced stripping uh, around COVID in the, in the second quarter, um, where we focused more in on the, on the, on the valley pit, uh, and as well as some uh, geotechnical constraints that limited our flexibility for, for the various ore sources that we feed to the mill. So we found ourselves uh, in a particular area in the pit that was harder than expected, an area that we didn't quite have as much hardness data around, and, and that's the reason for the, for the lower guidance uh, for the quarter. We do expect higher production uh, and throughput going into the, in, into the fourth quarter and, uh, and, and into 2021 uh, as, as, as well. So um, while we won't completely be out of that area in 2021, uh, we do have other areas that will, um, uh, you know, blend and mix with softer ores. So we don't anticipate to have the same kind of issues as, as Q3 going forward. Um, just on Molly, again, it's due to the change in mine sequence. Uh, originally, more ores planned from, from other areas in the mine. And when we change the mine sequence, uh, that directly affects the, the Molly production and grades. So, again, we don't anticipate that. Um, uh, as, as low as we've had for Molly, we do anticipate that strengthening going forward uh, as well. well. We'll issue updated uh, uh, guidance for 2021 on, on Q4 as we finish the budgeting process uh, as, uh, as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Kurt Woodworth of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Question on coke and coal. Um, you know, curious what you what you're seeing on on the demand side, given some of the port restrictions announced in China. You know, it seems like if you look at the domestic price in China, it's up about fifteen dollars a ton to two hundred. Um, yet the Australian price has done a quick U-turn. You know, given they're out of the market, so it seems like the ARB is extremely wide. Um, and you know, potentially India is coming back to the market. So just curious, your you know what you're seeing with respect to that, and do you have any sense at a consumer level how you're viewing coke and coal inventories? Because obviously it's there's no limited data for us to look at. Thank you. Thank you for your question. I thought this would actually be the first question of the day. Uh, there are some exciting developments there, but I'll turn it over to Rail Foley. Please. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, so maybe I'll start with your second question with respect to inventories. Um, so you, you'll recall that uh, steel production was actually turned down and glass furnaces were shut down a lot quicker uh, with with the pandemic. 
and as a result of that, inventories of steelmaking coal were also brought down very quickly. So uh, going into the, this quarter uh, and from the second half of, of the second quarter, of, of the third quarter, really, uh, we've seen uh, blast furnaces restart again. And as those blast furnaces are restarting, the, the steelmakers are trying to replenish inventories as well. So orders have, have been trending up, and that is reflected in our Q4 sales guidance. Uh, but just a note of, of caution on that, demand is not yet back to pre-COVID levels. So just just want to qualify that also. Now, your first question on uh, what is happening with uh, with with the, the coal market overall and uh, the the impact of uh, heightened seaborne import restrictions. The first thing I guess to say is there's been no official announcement on on those restrictions, uh, but they appear to be mainly directed toward Australian coal uh, and. We're continuing to see China steel production run at record high levels. So you're quite right. The, the steelmakers require steelmaking coal. Uh, and we are starting to see a few sales to China above original expectations. And that is coinciding well uh, with our operations ramping up through uh, the quarter, as, as Robin was just explaining. Now, when we look at China per se, um, there, there's three sources of steelmaking coal for China. The seaborne market is one, Mongolia is another, and of course, domestic coal, where, where the majority of the coal comes from. Um, so on the seaborne side, the, the impact of the pandemic has reduced supply from the main supply areas, Australia, US, Canada, and Mozambique uh, are all down, uh, and it's a total of around 20 million tons August year to date. Australia alone is down around 10 million tons August year to date, so that annualizes roughly at, at 15. And when we look at uh, IHS market data, for October, steel making coal vessel loadings are actually trending down somewhere around four and a half million tons month over month. Uh, so there is likely an impact from, from that reported ban. Um, the other point to make is that there is vessel queues at the, the China ports around 6 million tons of coal is, is sitting in queues right now at the port. But we have not seen any Australian cargoes are waiting at Chinese ports being diverted to other ports. And as, as you mentioned, with the, the coal prices having come down quite a bit, actually close to $30 since the beginning of October, uh, it's quite difficult to resell uh, some of those cargoes as, as the loss would be quite large on top of the extra cost to move the coal. But there is also another part to this. If, if we look at uh, December 2019, 
the stats were showing that only around 120,000 tons uh, were imported into China from the seaborne market at that time. However, again, uh, IHS uh, market data shows that around 4.8 million tons of coal was offloaded in December of 2019, but did not make it into the stats until early 2020. Uh, and that, that could happen again. And we, we are hearing uh, in the market that there has been at least one Australian coking coal vessel that was discharged after the ban. Uh, so how long will the ban last? Uh, we, we don't know, but back when Mongolia imports were banned in 2016 and 17, they lasted less than one month. Uh, another point to keep in mind is, uh, of course, there is inventory in China. Uh, we're estimating that there is somewhere around 45 to 50 million tons of uh, coking coal and uh, coking coal equivalent. Uh, in the supply chain in China right now that is equivalent to about four weeks at the rate that China is is running right now. Um, so they, they are, of course, consuming some of that inventory uh, as, as time goes. Now, the, the other two areas for supply of steelmaking coal into China are Mongolia, so it's logical for Mongolia to benefit from the, the possible loss of Australian coal imports. And the market is expecting that Mongolia is trying to recover the loss exports during the early months of the pandemic when the China border was shut. Um, <clears throat> Mongolia exports were down uh, 10 million tons September year to date. Uh, but they also reached a new record high in September, uh, just around 3.9 million tons in the month. Um, and if Mongolia can keep running at uh, record high levels for the, the remaining three months of the year, imports from Mongolia in 2020 would still be down somewhere around 6 million tons year over year. Uh, the other point is that Mongolia uh, imports have never run at this kind of level for three consecutive months. The previous record was in August 2019, and it, it was one month at uh, around 3.75 million tons. Um, and then ending with domestic, uh, China domestic production is, is virtually flat, September year to date. Uh, expectations are that uh, China domestic production will be flat for the, the full year 2020 compared to 2019. Their production in 2019 was right around 480 million tons. And we're seeing more aggressive safety and environmental inspections uh, ongoing in, in China. So hence the, the belief in the market that uh, supply production of, of coking coal from Australia will be flat uh, for the full year. 
So eventually, we're expecting that the, uh, the global demand will be on it, unaffected by those trade restrictions. Uh, and we're also expecting that the, the improved sentiment and the, the potential disruptions related to weather in, uh, in Australia in the fourth quarter and also in early 2021 should support increased activity in, in the steelmaking coal market. And we, we are seeing that as, as shown with our guidance for Q4. So it's a long answer, I know, uh, but there's a lot of moving parts. And as I said right at the outset, uh, there, there has been no official announcements about this. There is also expectations that quotas, port and port quotas, will reset at the beginning of uh, 2021. But, you know, same thing again. Uh, the, the quotas are talked about a lot in the market, but there is really no official announcement about that. Riel, any further color on the Chinese domestic price and the spread between that and the seaborne price and whether any of that will find its way to a non-Australian seaborne supplier? Uh, uh, yeah, good question, Don. Uh, we, the, the current arbitrage is somewhere around $70 or uh, just under that, actually. And we're starting to see uh, a few sales to China above original expectations. Uh, and yes, there, if, if Chinese steelmakers become pinched for steelmaking coal, they could very well uh, continue looking to the seaborne market for more supply from regions other than Australia, and that could very well continue to push price up. Thank you. I appreciate all the granular data. It's very fascinating. Um, and maybe a quick one for you, Don. Um, you know, as we're kind of coming out of COVID, obviously the, the base metal performance I think has been has been pretty remarkable, uh, certainly within both copper and zinc. Uh, you know, with respect to portfolio construction, um, can you give us an update on on kind of project satellite? You know, has there been any more um, you know traction there with regards to you know uh, divestiture potential? And then I guess similarly with with Ford Hills, as you see, you know, some additional capacity coming on. Is there and there's been some consolidation in energy? Is there any um, you know, any potential for, you know, looking at monetizing that asset, you know, potentially ahead of when you would get back to your more, you know, baseline level of, you know, the 200 barrels a day and 23 cost structure. Thank you. Yeah. So first on, on project satellite, uh, you know, we, we continue to add value where we can on the five different assets, as you know, there's still travel restrictions. So uh, whether you wanted to do a sales process or not, it would be difficult for people to do, site due diligence and um, and so on. But we certainly like the way the, the direction the market is taking. And as you point out, uh, copper and zinc have, um, have performed pretty well. So the, the market looks stronger than it was when we had launched the Zafirnel sale process before. So uh, that should be a benefit. Um, we're not we're not in a rush because we, we, we can't really do everything we'd want to do until you have um, much freer travel than uh, than we have today, but um, certainly the assets are getting more valuable. 
and at some point um, uh, we'll we'll engage in some sort of a transaction to to get that for shareholders. In terms of Fort Hills, um, I think uh, uh, the partners will have to come up with the plan on on how to ramp up Fort Hills uh, to to the next level. As I said in my comments, that will be looking at different market conditions and operating parameters. But uh, you know the objective would be to get back to full production. Um, uh, and thereby lower the cost per barrel uh, quite significantly as it goes up. So I think uh, you'll see um, some version of that. Suncor is the managing partner, obviously, and uh, and uh, you'll see announcements from them uh, on on that uh, in due course. And in terms of, of where it stands within the tech portfolio of proposed construction, I think you called it, uh, we have said for more than a year now that um, if we get through some of these these issues in the market in terms of getting it back running at full capacity and, and people have better visibility on the pipelines uh, and, and it's clear that we're not going to be paid for it in tech resources, then we would engage in a transaction um, where it gets owned differently, whether it's an outright sale for cash, whether it's contributed into another company taking back shares and some sort of consolidation play. It's, it's not lost unless there's some consolidation going on in the sector. Um, so you can assume conversations are taking place, but um, I wouldn't anticipate you'd see anything in the near term, uh, not, not until we've been able to ramp up and demonstrate what the asset can do. I mean, when, the, when, when Fort Hills first started up, that first uh, eight or nine months, it, it was absolutely a terrific operating performance for a startup and got to a point where it was running above capacity. And as, uh, as I've been told, 80% of projects of that scope never hit design capacity at all. And this, this one got there uh, pretty quickly and had, had room for debottlenecking on top of that. So I think you want to be sure we can demonstrate that value before we engage in any transaction. But um, Alberta has removed the cap sooner than people expected. And uh, uh, we've started up the second train now. So it's heading the right direction. Great. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. The next question is from Greg Barnes of TV Securities. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, this question for Donald Rial. Do you have the ability to meet additional demand from China for Canadian coal? You said they're coming to you. Um, does the guidance imply that you are meeting some of that demand, or, or is there upside to that number, the guidance number? Uh, Riel, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, but Greg, uh, as you might expect, uh, I'm putting a lot of pressure on them. Riel, over to you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Greg. So, uh, yes, we we are uh, starting to see some of that demand. We we are making a few sales into that demand, uh, but as as we look at the the full quarter you know keep in mind that uh, the guidance that we've provided is is based on the fact that uh, overall demand for steel making coal in the world not only china but in in the world is not back to pre-covid levels so uh, the, the guidance is we we feel is is appropriate and let's keep in mind too that there remains a risk to the recovery with the second wave that we're seeing with the pandemic in a number of places in the world getting hit 
pretty hard right now. Sure. So I just want to go back to Aura's question on the costs for 2021. Does that also include some, I guess, conservatism on what volumes could be next year? And obviously, you don't have any guidance out there yet, but you know, it, it does look challenging into 2021 still. And that would obviously have an impact on your unit costs if volumes aren't back up to that 26, 27 million ton level. Uh, I'll let uh, Robin talk about uh, our initial production plans, but uh, directionally, Greg, we, we want to be going into 2021 at full production or very close to it. Go ahead, Robin. Yeah, not much to add to that, Don. That's the plan. So, like I said, we've, we go into 21 quite strong with, with uh, healthy raw coal inventories, a stable mine plan, you know, record productivities, all those things set us up. So if the market supports full production, uh, the, the plan obviously is to meet that demand. Okay. Just a follow-up question finally for you, Robin. In the MDNA, it says something about regulatory changes coming shortly that will increase water management costs over and above the 350 to 400 million that's planned for 2021 through 2024. What is that all about? Yeah, I'd probably defer to Peter for that one. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, Greg, there's not much more we can say on that in light of the ongoing prosecution, but we, we do expect some additional regulatory requirements uh, in, the, in the near future that will uh, complement uh, measures that we're already taking under the Elk Valley Water Quality Plan. And, and uh, to the extent that those represent a significant change in our spending plans, we'd, we'd uh, probably make an announcement when those are finalized. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Jackie Przbelowski of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, hi. Thanks very much. Um, I have a, a couple of questions. I guess I just want to ask them. Um, first, um, your dividend policy. I know uh, when you initiated the formula, the dividend formula uh, last summer, uh, you'd mentioned for for last year you would either um, provide a, an update on your dividend in November or in February. And in fact, I guess it came in February last year or this year. Do you have a sense of what the policy is going to be on that going forward? Can we expect a dividend announcement next month, or are you more likely to update the market in February on that? No, it would be February. The decision was made to wait until the year is complete before determining any supplementary capital returns. We have the capital allocation model that's published, and I believe we keep it in the IR appendix uh, in every presentation so you can see how the decision-making flows on that one. Uh, if there's uh, capital available for further returns above the base dividend, then uh, we we have in the past surveyed shareholders to determine whether buybacks or, or uh, cash dividends are, are preferred, and then the board makes a decision at that stage. So um, uh, basically nothing has changed from what, what's been what Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, and, and to follow up on Greg's question about coal, and um, if you do see, and I know, um, I know you mentioned that it's, there's still some risks to the to the volumes and outlook, but if you do see higher demand for coal, uh, say from China through Q4 or through 2021, um, 
are are there still mechanisms like like you've had in the past to push the the mines to raise volumes? Could you bring in contract labor or something like that to um, to sort of produce more than what you normally would for a, a short period to take advantage of that high demand? Is that still possible? Robin. Yeah, it's well, it's less possible, and it might have been when we had six operating mines. You know, we're down to yeah. four now, so you know, the flexibility around that is, you know, incrementally less, I guess, than it was before. There's there's still uh, opportunity. I think there's some latent capacity in the in the in the one mine right now, but it's it's pretty marginal. So that's that's why I was asking with the change to the number of mines. Yeah, that so that, that makes sense. Thanks. Um, and, and maybe just one final question. I know uh, it's difficult for you guys to comment on on the water uh, treatment costs. Um, if we, we've seen some press releases, press reports uh, recently about um, about some more stringent um, water treatment uh, protocols, whether it's through Canada or or in some of the U.S. Uh, states like Montana. Is is there potentially more that tech would have to do? to keep selenium levels under control um, beyond what you guys have already envisioned in, in the water treatment plan? Is there something you can talk to on that? Yeah, I think we start with Peter on that one, and then maybe Ron. Um, yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, what we have to do over the long term is going to depend very much on the results of, of uh, our current uh, uh, program and ongoing environmental uh, monitoring. Uh, we, we're obviously committed to protecting uh, water quality uh, um, uh, as, as far down as, as uh, the, the transboundary uh, uh, impacts of, of our operations, including Lake Kukanusa. Um, and the, the, there, there is Montana rulemaking that's still ongoing. Uh, we're, we're primarily regulated in BC and, and the BC government hasn't yet um, uh, uh, announced a recommended uh, water quality objective uh, for Lake Kukanusa, um, and and they recently announced that they remain committed to a science-based process, and and that uh, BC will only commit to a standard uh, uh, once uh, once that that science-based uh, process has uh, has been uh, uh, fulfilled, and obviously there's ongoing uh, consultation with the Tanaha uh, Nation uh, Council. We're participating in the regulatory process on on both sides of the the border, and and uh, from a from a good news perspective, uh, annual average selenium levels in Lake Kukanusa have been stable since 2014, and we expect to see reductions in those levels as as treatment capacity uh, comes online. Um, and as Robin said earlier, the Elk Valley uh, saturated rock fills being commissioned in the Fording uh, uh, active water treatment facility is coming online uh, very, very shortly. So, um, uh, difficult to say, uh, uh, Jackie, uh, what the um, uh, what the future holds. But I think we we believe that our, our current uh, 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 spending estimates are are reasonable, uh, subject to the uh, additional uh, regulatory uh, actions that that uh, Greg um, uh, spoke about, which which uh, may. Um, uh, require some uh, uh, some additional spending. Okay, that's, so, and, that's helpful. And, and the good news, Jackie, is in the next three or four months, our capacity to treat water is about to go up dramatically, from seven and a half million liters a, a day currently to forty-seven and a half million liters. So that's the LQSRF 
We'll be finished shortly in wrapping up, but be finished uh, under budget and ahead of schedule. And then the Fording River Active Water Treatment Plant will be coming online uh, in, in the next quarter. And so that'll really increase the capacity for water treatment and uh, we'll demonstrate uh, how the other plants or SRFs, are, uh, not plants, SRFs are coming, uh, will continue to help that. So we're looking forward to getting that uh, capital deployment, which makes the company a better company uh, behind us. So we're, we're past nine o'clock now, so I'm, I'm gonna call a close and just make a, make a, a couple of final comments. First, um, I do wanna say how exciting October 8th was. And uh, for those of us in the company, because in the morning we had pictures sent to us from Chile where we saw ball mill number one being, uh, being uh, almost rolled into place. And, and that's just a significant uh, uh, threshold of, of, of construction, seeing things, a lot large piece of equipment to, to get in there. And that afternoon we saw the shiploader coming in from Vietnam, uh, you know, arriving into the harbor, sailing underneath the Lionsgate Bridge. And these are two big pieces of equipment and two, two uh, initiatives that we have that are really going to make the company that much stronger for decades to come. On the coal side, the Neptune uh, initiative is going to lower costs by, by quite a few dollars for decades to come on a lot of tons and just make us a stronger, more competitive uh, steel-making coal business. And of course, QB2, when finished, is going to double on a consolidated basis our copper production and change the look of our portfolio. And this is, uh, this is what we're looking towards, making the company a, uh, a much stronger company. Uh, commodity prices will be what they will be, but certainly the underlying assets will, uh, will be much stronger. And then uh, final comment, I do want to say thank you to Ron Mills once again uh, for tremendous 25 years of contribution uh, to making this company what it is today. Uh, we very much wish you all the best in your time, Ron. Thank you for uh, the tremendous service. And with that, operator, uh, we'll close the meeting. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. We thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.